Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Divine service, worship service, some combination of the two, perhaps. There's this little book in your pew in front of you, and I just invite you at the moment, and for just a moment, to turn in here to page 155, 51, I'm sorry, 151. On page 151, you've got the beginning of the worship service as it's laid out in the hymnal. This is the service, in fact, that we are conducting today. Divine service one. Now, perhaps you've noticed that there are a variety of worship services that we sometimes do. Well, they all come out of this little book. We print them up for you so you don't have to carry this little book around. Even though, well, because it's a little heavier than that little printout that we have for you. And because sometimes there are things we want to put in there so that you don't have to go rifling through and find them somewhere else in the book. There are, in fact, five of these divine services. This is number one. You know where number two is? It follows right along after it. Divine service two starts on page 167, just like you might expect. And divine service one and divine service two have this essentially the same text, but they do have different music. So the big difference between the first one and the second one is the music between the two. One has one set of settings musically and another has another set of musical settings. Each of them was developed not very long ago. In fact, each of them was developed in the 1960s and 70s. And so they haven't been along or around all that long as such, although the component parts of them are fairly ancient. Divine Service 3 follows right along after Divine Service 2, and it starts on page 185. Four. Good job. Thank you. Now, Divine Service 3, as we have it here, is a little bit older yet than the other first two. As we have it here, it comes to us in English from the 1880s. That's when it was first developed in English. But most of its component parts are quite a bit older than that as well. Some go all the way back to the, the Psalms and, and ancient things from the scriptures themselves, of course. One of the fun things about the hymnal as it's laid out for us, which we try to do a little bit of in the bulletin as well, is in the left-hand column there, you've got Bible passages that lets you know where these things are found in the Bible, so that you know that we're not just making up stuff, but it's all there from the scripture. Now, Divine Service 4, of course, follows Divine Service 3. Oh, one more thing about Divine Service 3. That's, this is probably the service, if you grew up as a Lutheran in one of our congregations, this is probably the service that's most familiar to you, because this is the one that was in the Lutheran hymnal from 1941. This is the service that I grew up with every week. And so if you 
were part of one of our churches, even going back that far, and then certainly even in any of our lifetimes, that's a popular service that's the most familiar to you. Divine Service 4 is a little bit different yet, and this one is probably the newest of any of the ones that are in our current hymnal. Divine Service 4 has new texts that are poetic versions of the previous texts from the first three services. They are set to melodies that are familiar from other hymns that appear later on in the book. And we use this one on occasion as well. Finally, Divine Service 5, starting on page 213, has after the confession and absolution, just a list of things to do with suggestions for hymns that carry those parts of the service. This is in fact a hymn service developed all the way in Luther's day. He developed this in 1524 to put the liturgy into German. Wasn't it in German before? And why shouldn't it have been in English? Well, he was living in Germany. And up to that point, it had been Latin. So he developed the service so that they could sing the service in a language that they could understand and wrote the hymns to go along with it. So all of the same component parts are there. It's just stitched together with common hymns that Luther had taught the people to sing. And so those hymns are listed there, and they are, yes, they are in our book. Now, over the course of the summer, Mission Impossible, should you choose to accept it with me, is to learn a little bit about the service in general together. We've just finished a series of the first half of the church year that took us through Luther's small catechism. And now it seemed good to me to also take a look at the component parts of the worship service. Well, which one are we going to look at? Well, primarily we'll look at the things that they all share together and make a little bit of note as to how each of them is a little bit different. But all of them share all of the main component parts and have some things that make each of them unique as well. But you notice right up front, they all say divine service, number one, divine service, number two, three, four, five. In our common American way of talking, we normally talk about going to church or we talk about going to worship. And that is a very common American way of talking. The phrase divine service, though, takes its roots back into a little bit of an earlier It's an English carryover from the German word Gottesdienst. Gottesdienst? Who wants to say that? Well, German people do. Gottesdienst literally comes into English as divine service. God's service. Now, why would we say that? Gottesdienst or divine service does a particular job in order to teach what this hour is really all about. There's two ways of kind of thinking about what we're doing here. 
from 1032 along with Fergie 12. <laughs> Two ways to kind of think about what we're doing here. Now, a common American way of thinking about what we're doing here is that we all come together and we tell God how cool we think he is. And that is a very common way of experiencing this hour. God is the audience, and we're telling him all kinds of great things about him. But that's actually not what Lutherans understand for what this hour is all about. Now, it's not necessarily unbiblical to do that. There's lots of examples in the Psalms of describing back to God in light of his promise to us how thankful we are or how wonderful he is or why he is worthy of our devotion, worship, and praise. But that's not necessarily the main focus of what this hour is for Lutherans. Lutherans understand that the focus of this hour is not that God puts himself on display and we are lauding and honoring him, although our responses to his actions do contain some of that. The main thing, though, the main thing is that God has promised to be present and serve his people. God has promised to serve us. And that's a very different approach to what this hour is all about. Why we come to church. The reason we come to church is so that God in Christ can serve us. That may sound even sacrilegious. God should serve me, but that's exactly what he wants to do. You see, the primary texts for describing what this hour is all about are John 13 and Luke 24. And we'll take each of them just quickly in turn. John 13 describes how Jesus got up from the table put aside his robe, put a towel around his face, and went around to each of his disciples and washed their feet. Now, it was terribly embarrassing for all of them for Jesus to do that, especially so for Peter, because he said, Lord, there's no way I'm going to let you wash my feet. And that may be your first reaction to the idea of God serving you at all, ever. But that is exactly what he wants to do. Because what he says to Peter is, if I don't wash you, have no part in me. Problem is, every single week, in fact, every single day, we come into God's presence in need of his restoration. In need of his word of resurrection. In need of his word of forgiveness. He's the one who takes what is nothing and makes it anything. He's the one who brings his word so that I can be clean. If he doesn't do it, it ain't getting done. So divine service is simply a reflection of the fact that God is the one who begins the conversation. God is the one who speaks so that we can live. If God doesn't speak, 
we stay dead. And so divine service recognizes who's actually doing the heavy lifting when it comes to the day and the moment when I come to church. God, in Christ, by his spirit, is doing the heavy lifting. We come because, not that we have a bunch of things to offer to God, but because we know that God has beautiful things to offer to us. And he, in his generous willingness, is ready to shower us with his gifts, gifts that we desperately need. And so the, the first status of my own heart is to recognize its helplessness. It's helplessness before the world. It's helplessness before my own sin. It's helplessness before all of the evil around me. And to recognize that God has the goods that is going to heal and resurrect and restore me. This is where it's this is where it's available. God is going to serve us. And that is a beautiful thing about this hour. And God, in his grace and in his mercy, comes down from heaven to be with us, Emmanuel, right here, in his word and sacrament, in order to do the heavy lifting of forgiving sins, imparting his word and promises, raising us up and feeding us on his body and blood and giving us his name to begin and end the worship service so that we can carry it out as his ambassadors everywhere and every when we go. Divine service simply underlines the fact that God is the one who is in charge of this hour and he has come to deliver his good gifts to the people he loves. His beloved, our husband, we his bride. The other passage involved in this is Luke 24. Luke 24 sets the pattern for the church's life together after the resurrection in terms of what this hour is all about. It does it in a narrative, an episode right, in fact, on Easter afternoon, Easter day afternoon. Jesus identifies two disciples that are on their way home. One of them is named Cleopas, and we don't have the name of the other disciple. If you ask me privately, I think it's probably his wife. They're headed home together. So G Jesus comes alongside them as they're on their way back from Jerusalem to their house in the town of Emmaus. And as he comes alongside them, he hears and overhears what they're talking about. And they're talking about all the things that have happened there in Jerusalem since Jesus came in on the donkey and all of the teaching in the temple and then the arrest and the trial and the crucifixion. And now, now we've even heard that he's risen from the dead. And there were angels at the tomb this morning, but his body was there. And in fact, as Jesus inquires of them, they're able to describe everything. There isn't anything they don't know. And yet they're walking along together sad. Sad. Having heard the word of the resurrection of Jesus, they're still walking along together sad. And so what does Jesus do? What does he do to perk them up? He says, well, let's do some Bible study together. <laughs> That'll perk you up. <laughs> so he takes them right through from Moses and the prophets and the writings and the songs 
things concerning himself. Well, now that would have been Bible study. Yeah. Old Testament 101, 201, 301, 401, all rolled in together with Jesus, the author of the whole book, right there to give his take on what it all means. As they walk along the road together, Jesus unpacks the scriptures for them so that their hearts burn within them. That's the service of the word. That's the time of unpacking the scriptures together. That's what we're doing right now. And then as they arrive at the house, Cleopas and the other disciple there go into the house and they invite Jesus to come in to share fellowship with them, to share a meal with them. And at first, it looks like it's just going to be supper. Any old supper. Same kind of supper we have downstairs. We get together to have supper together. But not on this night. Not with Jesus in the mix. Because right when the food is about to be set before the group of people gathered there, Jesus steps into the role of father of the house. He takes up the bread that is there at the table, and he blesses it, and he gives it to those disciples, and immediately their minds go right back to three nights before when he had said those very same words, this is my body. In that moment, their eyes are open, and they recognize him. And Luke is very deliberate to let us know that all the way up into that moment, they were kept from seeing who their visitor really was. But in the breaking of the bread, their eyes were opened and they saw Jesus. This is Luke's indication to us about what it's going to be like for you and I, week by week until our Lord comes again and meets with us face to face. Until that time, how will we get to know Jesus? How will we see him? We will hear his word as, as the scriptures are recounted and as the promises of God in Christ are related and driven home by hopefully decent preaching on occasion. But also that we will come together to table. And not just fellowship meals and potluck downstairs, but that we will come together here around the altar of God so that Jesus himself can be the host. That he can serve us with the forgiveness of sins given to us in his own crucified, risen, and ascended body and blood that can really do the job. Because I'll, I'll tell you, bread and wine never forgave sin. The body and blood of Jesus absolutely and certainly does. And in that gift, the Lord of heaven and earth serves his people and gives them exactly what they need. Forgiveness of sins and fellowship with them. This hour, then, is all about God serving us. The cosmic husband of heaven and earth serving his bride. 
and being in that way a testimony to all the world about what God is on about, what his purposes are, and how he wants to deal with it. The divine service itself gathers scripture from across the board, from Old Testament to the New Testament, and fits it together in a variety of interesting ways. Just to highlight a few things that we'll delve into more deeply in the weeks to come. Did you notice the liturgical song we sang right at the beginning of the service, glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth? Well, where does that come from? It's the song of the angels when Jesus is born, isn't it? It's the song of the angels when Jesus is born. That's how we start the service. We begin with Christmas every Sunday. I guess we've all kind of gotten familiar with the fact that every Sunday is a little Easter. But maybe it's never been pointed out that every Sunday is also a little Christmas. We recount the birth of Jesus and celebrate what it means in that song. We also then have the song that the children sang as Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. And so we begin with Holy Week when we get to the second part of the service, the service of the sacrament. And recount there also Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper, recognizing that it is in his cross that he makes these gifts available to us. As much as every Sunday is a little Easter, it's also a recounting of all of the important things that Jesus did, from birth to life to death and resurrection as well. Every Sunday, it's to celebrate all that he is for us. But it also unpacks the teaching that we have in the small catechism. We have the Ten Commandments in God's Word. We begin the service with the words of holy baptism in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit. We pray the Lord's Prayer. We hear the words of the institution of the Lord's Supper. We are reminded of all of those things that we learned even as children. Ten Commandments, the Creed, Lord's Prayer, Baptism, Confession, Absolution, and the Lord's Supper. All of these things woven together in a new way. But just think about it for a moment. Ten Commandments and the Catechism come first so that you know why it is that you need to repent of your sins. But we begin the service not with the law of God. We begin the service with the name of God in holy baptism. We'll talk about this a little bit more next week. But it is the foundation and basis for why it is you belong here. Because in carrying the name of Christ, in carrying the name of the triune God, you have the clean hands that can ascend to God's holy bread. Just another preview of an attraction. And so, while the catechism lays these things out in what I would call a diagnostic way, a way to put them in order for the sake of teaching, the divine service puts them together in an experiential way. How do we begin our relationship with God? We begin our relationship with God when he calls us by name, just like he did for Matthew. You, follow me, right here, at the waters of holy baptism. And so we begin at the start, every Sunday, we begin in our relationship with God 
as he told us to, to receive the kingdom of God, how? As little children, with the very first word we heard, in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit. So the name of God can become the, the basis for our celebration of the truth of God. Again, just coming of time. The experience of this hour, then, is to come and to meet with our Lord, to meet with our Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier, and to be served by Him so that the great physician can heal us, set us back on our feet after the world has done its best to knock us down, and to be restored and enlivened so that we can engage in the next week's work just as he directs and in his name. I look forward to sharing some of these further things with you in the weeks to come. But as the Lord directs, even so we will follow. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in faith towards Christ. Amen.